The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. This is our episode, Real Talk number five, on the life, death, and tragedy and legacy of James Dean. All right. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined once again by two cohorts in crime. ADZ, number one. And Kyle Z, number two. (laughs) Kyle is always number two. (laughs) So, um... What we've done for this Real Talk is, since we've covered uh, James Dean's movies, the three that he did, um, Rebel Giant, Cause, Rebel and East of Eden, yep. we figured we would take a deeper dive into his life, his death, and the legacy of his movies, because Eric has suggested a long time ago, he's like, do you think that James Dean is only known um, for the tragedy of his death instead of his movies as part of his legacy, which makes him very larger-than-life person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I figured, you know, let's just make this a real talk, and we can bring Eric in. We can all collaborate together and see what we can come up with. If James Dean is worthy to be called one of the greatest of all time uh, or even be in the same legacy talks with Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, and people of that era. Yeah. So um, Eric will be taking the life of James Dean. I have the death. Of James Dean and Kyle. He's going to try and go for the legacy a little bit. <laughs> just I'm, I'm, I'm undercutting right. myself just a little bit right now. Right. I know. I know. Yeah, so, you can cover the legacy. We have in the movies, in, but in if, reviewing the movies. But if anybody that hasn't listened to those episodes, right. we still need to go ahead and, and portray the movies and all that. So uh, before we get started, I'll have a question for you guys. Oh. And we'll start with Eric. Eric, out of the three James Dean movies, uh, which one do you think was his best performance? Um, I'm going to say East of Eden probably was the, the... I think it was the best overall movie, as well as his probably his best performance. Um, yeah, again, just... I, I don't like think, I said... Once we get into this a little bit, and we see his life, and his young life, you'll see why I don't think that role for him as Cal was that much of a stretch nope. to play that. Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, yeah. yeah, I think he's to be in probably... Now, Rebel Without a Cause was the first movie that I'd ever seen, and that's... Same. You know, the, uh, it's kind of the quintessential, iconic James Dean kind of movie. Uh, you know, most people have seen it. But, yeah, I don't think that, that it, it was his best. I think East of Eden was um, giant. And Kyle and I talked about this a little bit at breakfast, too. You probably could cut his role in giant almost mm-hmm. all the way out, and, and the movie would still stand on its own. But I still, think it, was a, I still think it was yeah. a great movie. Though. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was still, a good movie. Uh, yeah. But I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson, thank you. Uh, they could have they, they carried the weight of most of the dialogue oh, yeah. anyway and in and, and the scenes um but yeah uh sorry that's a long way to say east of eden <laughs> Kyle, oh, that's fair enough and uh, no I, I completely i completely agree with you i think um his role in the film giant um could almost be excised entirely and he could possibly even streamline to almost a better movie in giant in a way mm-hmm. you could almost take an hour of that movie and it would still be just as good <laughs> definitely like and i get away like i i still love like i still love a three-hour movie sometimes and i still love a two-hour movie sometimes but i almost think that movie could have been like streamlined two hours being be better than we had um and i think like ralph had a cause um even though we kind of had mixed feelings with it early on, I've kind of grown to like it a little bit more, and I think that's an excellent movie on its own right. And also, it's perhaps the best representation of like how James Dean's method acting worked for that movie. Yeah. And I do appreciate that. But 
East of Eden is where I felt kind of closest to the character he was playing and mm-hmm. not like James Dean, the actor, I feel like. East of Eden was him playing a role that I I was looking at the character he played and understanding and, and um, feeling like I understood him rather than just trying to understand James Dean the person. Role Without a Cause is the most James Dean, James Dean yeah. character. Yeah. But <laughs> East of Eden is the best movie that he's acting in um, and for the role he's the best role he's playing. Um, so I'm going to go with East of Eden with Eric as well. East of Eden is probably my favorite. Jimbo, how do you feel? Man, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with East of Eden. And, and it's crazy because I told both of you when I was started watching it, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this movie. Because the <laughs> per- honestly, the first 10 minutes of the movie, maybe 20, 20 minutes of the movie. He's riding the train and he's Yeah, he's, he's like stalking his, somebody. You're yeah. like, this is, this is weird. Um, yeah. But man, stick with it because it is a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, and his character in Giant... I thought it was going to be bigger than what it was right. because they, they kept building it up. Like, you know, he, he struck oil on his land. You know, he was kind of like a, a slow farm boy that was just kind of a, a drifter mm-hmm. and, and it's hanging around after he'd been fired. And then, you know, he strikes oil, becomes richer than the, uh, Rock Hudson's character. And then it kind of just fades into the background. You know, you just see him getting bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger while, you know, uh, Rock Hudson and his family are. Yeah. His life story is a smaller story in a grander narrative that he has very little to actually do with. Yeah. And some of those things like, like, yeah, right. I like, the, I like his role in that movie. He still has a good little story there, but like you could really could just cut him entirely out and still have the majority of your plot and kind of like, you know, like, you know, tape over those edges and like, you might even have a better film overall, right. you know, if, uh, if you know, if I were making it, you know, me being a film director. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I think we're all in agreement that East of Eden was probably his finest work. Um, yeah. Okay. Now Kyle or, or Eric, whichever one, I, I'm not. I don't think I know. Did he ever win an award? Posthumously, I yeah. after he death, he yeah. actually. Well, he it's won. not funny, Kyle. I don't know the pronunciation of it right. Is it posthumous? Is it the Posthumously, thank you. Humorously, say it again for me, please. Posthumously, posthumously. That's uh, that's got that's got a lot of S's in it. I, I do bad at S's. Posthumously, <laughs> I'm gonna try that as best as possible. But yes, he he got uh, two Oscar awards. Um, okay, you gotta go. I, yeah, yeah, I, I look up simply something like that too. I should have had that on hand, but I didn't because I'm a lazy boy. Well, um, um, we're gonna go ahead and have Eric go ahead and jump into the yeah, beginnings now, of his okay. life. I'll just put uh, him when I get it later. But okay. don't worry, you go ahead. I'll just uh, wait till you're. Legacy would probably be good for the... No, no, no. I should just butt in the top of Eric. <laughs> Let's talk about the life of James Dean a little bit. Uh, James Byron Dean, and that's even up for debate. Was he named after Lord Byron? Mm. Uh, I think his mother named him, but uh, he was born on February the 8th, 1931 in Marion, Indiana. So he's a native Hoosier. He's a Hoosier, baby. Um, he was born to Mildred Marie Wilson and Winton A. Dean a farmer turned dental technician. Uh, his Again, his mother died. He's probably well-known um, to, to most movie fans, but his mother died when uh, Dean was only nine years old, and he actually was subsequent, subsequently raised on a farm by his aunt and uncle in Fairmount, Fairmount, Indiana, which that's a good road trip. It's only about 60 miles. I think he's buried there as well. We're going to take a road trip. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in the, the death and legacy part of this uh, real talk. But, yeah, I think he's actually buried in Fairmount, uh, Indiana. Uh, I'll say for later. I actually have the full award list now. So I'm okay. a little prepared. That should have been before. <laughs> um, so I was reading a book. Uh, the foreword was written by uh, George Stevens, who was actually the director for Giant. And uh, he wrote a foreword in, in a Kindle edition book that I read Um it's quoted his grandmother uh, as a designated uh, chapter in the book, and she talks about um, when her son went and sent uh, a letter. I'll just read it. It's an excerpt from the book. It says, I'll never forget the day Winton's letter came telling us that Mildred, Dean's mother, couldn't get well. They lived in Santa Monica. So let me just stop right there. So they, he, his father, Winton, was a dental technician, and he, he worked at a... Um, a veterans hospital here in Indiana, I think for a while, but then he got transferred out to California, like Southern California, Santa Monica area. And then they had moved out there when Dean was young. And then his, his subsequently his mother passed away when he was very young. She was only 29 years old. She had cancer, I believe, and she died. And so, um, this is Winton, um, writing back to his mother and, 
he says that Jimmy was just nine then, went and asked if I could come out. Mildred, who was so young and lovely, had cancer. I took the letter to our doctor, and he judged that I'd be there six to eight weeks. I was gone seven, and when I brought Mildred's body back, Jimmy was with me uh, for after the services out there. I gave Winton uh, the Winslow's message, so like his his mom, uh, his mom's body, and his he wrote Dean rode with his grandmother uh, in a train back to Indiana, I think, and the the body uh, of his mother was in tow. It says, and I saw and I recall now, Winton, I want you to think uh, this over carefully. This is, we're talking about, they were making arrangements about who James was going to live with because uh, it was just his dad out there in California. The rest of the family was back on the farm in Indiana, and it, they came to a decision. Well, his father came to the ultimate decision that he would go live with his aunt and uncle on that farm yeah. and that he would move back to Indiana and be around family. And th- this quote here is what it's talking about. So I want you to think this over carefully. If you see fit to let Jimmy come back to Fairmount, Ortonance, which is his sister, and Marcus, which would be uh, his brother-in-law, or James Dean's uh, aunt and uncle, would like to take him. They'll raise him for you if you want. Having a boy on the farm would be nice. And Joan was their only other child, and Marky wasn't born yet. So those were like his subsequent cousins, I guess, uh, that were born later. Well, poor Winton just stood there and stared. And at last he said, it never could have occurred to me that I might be separated from Jimmy. But Winton knew what he faced, and he had a living to earn and didn't have a single relative in California. At last he said, you can't find a finer man than Marcus Winslow. And so far as choosing between the way my sister would mother Jimmy and how some housekeeper might take care of him, there's just no question. Hard as it was, I've always felt Winton made the right choice, particularly since it turned out that he was drafted about 18 months later. So he must have served in World War II uh, a few months later after uh, James went to live with his aunt and uncle. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about his um, troubling adolescence, too, as he was growing up. And unfortunately, we, we, we kind of need to touch on this because it was part of it. It was part of his life and um, his early life. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so in his adolescence, Dean sought the counsel of a friend and friendship of a local Methodist pastor. The His name was Reverend James DeWeird, who seems to have had a formative influence upon Dean, especially upon his future interests in bullfighting and car racing. That was a big part of his life later on in theater. And according to Billy J. Harbin, Dean had an intimate relationship with this pastor, which began around the senior year of his uh, of high school. And their alleged sexual relationship uh, was suggested in Paul Alexander's book, A Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It was reported in 2011 that Dean once confided in Elizabeth Taylor that he was sexually abused by a minister approximately two years after his mother's death. So that puts the timeline a little bit earlier than his senior year high school. But I know you guys on the movie Giant talked about he and Elizabeth Taylor's relationship and how distraught she was when she heard about his passing. And, and so they kind of bonded on the movie set of giant. And I think you yeah. shared some, some details with her about his, uh, young, uh, I, I simply remember in the notes we took, like he's like, um, like Elizabeth Taylor felt bad for like two days. She's like, James didn't speak to him. didn't speak to her because she, because he felt like he told her too much mm-hmm. that idea. And then later he acted like nothing happened, kind of like tried to dismiss it in a way. So it kind of, uh, Clearly, like he doesn't want to acknowledge his abuses, and also, you know, one of the like kind of like throw them under the rug because he just didn't feel like he could deal with those kind of things that right. happened to him and like properly dissect them. And unfortunately, he didn't do that um, to, in his in, to his passing. So it's unfortunate he never got to deal with those kind of issues. Yeah, I think that was um, something probably he struggled with most of his young life. And then, uh, just lastly, on this issue, other reports on Dean's life suggested that he was either sexually abused by DeWeird. Uh, as a child or had a sexual relationship with him late as a teenager. So during his formative years, if you can imagine that type of abuse would certainly be something that would uh, affect you later on in life. And I mean, judging from the podcast you guys have already done, the movies are already cut. I think there was something relative to a director with rebel without a cause. There was some kind of uh, relationship going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. And, and so maybe some, some confusion and, yeah. and not to hit on it too heavily, but you certainly see the, the dividends played out later in his life with yeah. that situation. Well, one commonality, even on the darker side of it, is that he was constantly seeking approval from like a, a paternal figure, particularly mm-hmm. like an older man. Yeah. And it, clearly he wanted that kind of like approval from a paternal figure in the most, in whatever way he could possibly get it. And if that came into an intimate way, he would kind of gladly um, welcome it um, right. in a way. And um, that kind of speaks to um, 
not a problem of homosexuality, not, not not specifically that, but in a problem of how he wants to ascertain approval, he wants to in any way possible. Right. Um, uh, and it's so it's like it's unfortunate that like he had such a short life that he couldn't have uh, opportunities to overcome those problems and like get through those difficult feelings he no doubt had. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like just the, the tragedy once again of uh, James Dean's life and his struggles is that he had these um, a, a clear. Um, desire to be loved by um, his, uh, his his by paternal figures and his parents and feel recognized and safe, mm-hmm. and, and uh, people have chosen to either take advantage of that mm-hmm. or not help him. And, and I think you see that specifically in East of Eden. Yeah, with the, trying to get his love of his father. Yeah, yeah, approval. for sure. And that and that kind of dovetails with what I'm about to comment on here in a moment in his his real life. Um, so moving along in his in the timeline of his life, he lived with his aunt and uncle. Uh, and cousins until graduating from Fairmount High School in 1949. After graduation, he moved back to California for a short time to live with his father and stepmother. And here's another excerpt from that book by George Stevens uh, entitled uh, James Dean, The Intimate Memories for Those Who Knew Him Best. It says this, it was nice that Jimmy, this is written from his grandmother's perspective, it was nice that Jimmy could spend a year with his father. Wenton had been uh, five years a widower when he married Ethel Case, so he had a stepmother now in 1945. Jimmy lived with them uh, the first year he attended Santa Monica Junior College, and later he went on to UCLA and then to New York to study at the Actors Studio. Uh, thanks to I thought this was funny. Thanks to television, we felt we shared those New York days with Jimmy. We had to buy a television set as soon as he was getting parts and programs. Marcus and Ordens, his aunt and uncle that he lived with, they were one of the first ones to have a TV set around there. So mm-hmm. his his grandparents basically had to buy a television so they could watch <laughs> their could grandson the on on TV. I thought I feel that like was they were interesting. Them that way. That's, yeah. that's really that's really sweet. Yeah, and so he, he did do some small parts in. I won't go through the whole list. He he did small parts on television. Well, let me just mention a few. Uh, he played in a comedy called Sailor Beware in 1952. These were all very small roles. Uh, he he was a young GI in 1950 in in 1951. A youth in a program called Piper Laurie, uh, and then uh, there was something with Jerry Lewis. There it is. Um, he was a sailor in the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis overly frantic music comedy, Sailor Beware. I think I mentioned that already in 1952. Uh, and then he was in another uh, program called Has Anyone Seen My Gal in 1952 as well. So it looks like he had some small TV roles. Yeah. Uh, but we, we obviously all mostly know of him for these three iconic trilogy type movies yeah but it's start clicker seems to be like in the tv radio kind of realm of like the walk-on kind of actor kind mm-hmm. of thing yeah like small gigs enough to get by on um but like clearly like like i said like the movies were his big ticket item but obviously uh like these smaller roles were how he got by early on in his yep. career and got his start basically and uh my number four category this moves along um i just entitled this last section he had a relationship with his father that was very disconnected and um, I'm just going to read this because I think it's easier to just read it than try to describe it. But um, Wenton Dean spoke to the press about his son only once uh, to writer Richard Moore, whose article about James Dean was entitled Lone Wolf. And it appeared in the August 1955 issue of Modern Screen Magazine. Uh, buried within Moore's piece, Wenton Dean's words spoke volumes about the gulf that separated his father and son. Even though James Dean had already starred in two major Hollywood films and was co-starring in the mammoth epic Giant, when Moore interviewed him, Wenton Dean remained perplexed by his son's choice of career and was still waiting for him to make his mark. So his dad really wanted him to go into the law, I guess, or to pick a more traditional uh, occupation. Yeah. But, you know... You know, James Dean was really adamant about, you know, acting and so forth. But this this is a quote from that article. This is what uh, Wenton Dean says about his son. And you know, Jimbo and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, that playing Cal in the movie East of Eden was, couldn't have been a stretch because he probably related so many of the circumstances back to his own life. And this will kind of be made a little bit more clear when you hear his James's real father's words. It says this, I'll tell you this. He says, my Jim is a tough boy to understand. At least he is for me, but maybe that's because I don't understand actors and he's always wanted to become one. Another reason is that we were separated for a long period of time uh, from when he was nine until he was 18. Those are important formative years when a boy and his father usually become close friends. Jim and I well 
never had that closeness. It's nobody's fault, really, just circumstances. So that that was a quote, you know. There was a huge disconnect, that brings back to my point. There was a huge disconnect between him and his father, and Kyle already talked about it a little bit. You see that come out in his acting. He's just longing for that father figure to be having a, a relationship with, uh, you know, that role model type relationship that he never, I guess he never really got it from his, uh, his uncle, mm-hmm. even though he lived with him during those yeah. formative years. And it really shows itself and it comes out, especially in East of Eden, but it, it, even in Rebel Without a Cause. Remember when he's just uh, begging his father to control yeah. the situation? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. he, like punish yeah, him you to make do anything. Up, and when, he, when his dad wore the little apron or whatever, was cleaning up the mess on the floor, that just disgusted his character because it's like, you know, his dad had no backbone yeah. in that movie, and he just was. Yeah, a lot of little subtle ways that that, that came out, and you know, with James yeah. Dean being a method actor, you could see how he was sort of yeah. immersed he definitely himself wanted in that to be a man in this boy's life yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. even when he's a young man, he needed a man in his life to be right. um, guiding him in a way, and uh, it yeah, it came into a lot of you know, yeah, a lot now, of struggles he had later on in life for a short life he yeah. lived. You know, yeah. he was very close with his mother as well, which that the, the book talks about that at at, at some length. Uh, and that she was the one that I think it's it stated in there that she wanted him to learn tap dancing and and he was practicing the violin. So she kind of it, it, it seems to indicate that she kind of had a vision for him to go into some type of show business. And and that was sort of his uh, the, the close knit relationship that he had with his mom. I mean, it would have been devastating for any nine year old to lose their mom. But uh, they had a really tight relationship. And on the complete opposite side of the coin was this broken uh disconnected relationship with his dad so yeah, yeah. pretty and, interesting yeah and even uh, i watched a personal documentary on a uh, youtube about like life and times of james dean kind of stuff early on in his life like he seems like he had a uh, a great deal he had a great aptitude for musical work and sports work he was a basketball player did a great job there i learned that in the early movies mm-hmm. he did so like that too he's a good basketball player i believe played another sport which is only five seven which is interesting but everybody in indiana plays basketball so yeah, yeah, all who just play basketball. It's kind of it's, it's a law of the land. Kyle, did you um, play basketball? I, very little. <laughs> I was the ball. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, but also he had a very strong aptitude for um, m- um, musical instruments, stuff like that too. But he actually, he did very he did very poorly on his uh, s- school work, simply. Mm-hmm. So actually, he had always had very poor grades. But he was a musician and an athlete, and that's how he kind of got by through um, his school um, career, and that's why he kind of went into the arts like if he wasn't an actor he would have been his musician he would have been a writer he would have done something like that um yeah, kind of also, a jack of all trades yeah very much. creative yeah, a jack of all person. trades of artistic endeavors um he probably could have been a writer because um one of the things early on i said he um they suspected he was dyslexic and i believe um it's like, one of those things, like if james dean were a young man today i think he probably would have been diagnosed with some kind of degree of spectrum of like of attention deficit disorder or uh, some degree of something in that kind of near proximity or uh, spectrum of uh, mental um, issues to kind of uh, overcome and deal with and dyslexia also could be a, uh, a um, symptom of that as well not being able to focus on any one word in um, reading a dialogue so that's why you kind of struggle to read and focus on his schoolwork so it's kind of interesting to see like that's the struggles he had to be a and focus. What is yeah. Jimbo? Focus. focus. Going back to Jimbo here. Kyle's, Jimbo. Kyle's soothing lips are moving on to the <laughs> putting me to sleep. Putting me to sleep. So a nice segue to that. That kind of wraps up his life uh, portion of our, our real, real talk. Real talk. Real. Yeah. Ca- I don't want to, call, want to call it a real cast. Real talk. <laughs> real cast. So uh, I'll move on to the uh, the death. Portion of the. Are we ready to talk about the yeah, death of James? Are you, are you ready? I am. You're ready, ready to die. You're I am die. ready to go. Um, I'd like to go ahead and quote my sources um, that I found this information on. So Ooh, that way, scientist. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. So uh, cultofweird.com has some really cool articles. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, history.com and haggerty.co.uk. So. Sadly, uh, James Dean, the 24-year-old actor, um, was killed on. September 30th, 1955, uh, when he collided with another vehicle in his silver Porsche 550 Spider. Uh, Dean had just finished filming Giant, during which Warner Brothers Studios had forbidden him from racing, so he was eager to get back out on the road and race. How much did he pay for that car? Hang on, let me finish my thing, and oh, then we'll get there. We'll we'll get to uh, maybe. It's, it's in here somewhere. Sorry. You just relax. Pardon me for interrupting. Yes. Patience. I didn't interrupt you, Eric. Let me Sorry. get through my thing. You only interrupt me. That's the rule. Um, <laughs> So as he was breaking in the new car, which he nicknamed Little, and I'm going to say B, um, 
because this is a family friendly podcast, if you want to know, you can look it up. Uh, some don't think it's that rhymes with mustard. <laughs> yes, kind of. Uh, but he was on his way to the races in Salinas, California. Rolf Wolthrich, a Porsche mechanic who was helping Dean prepare his car for the weekend sports car races, was in the passenger seat. Dean's friend Bill Hickman, a stunt driver from Warner Brothers, and photographer Sanford H. Roth were following far behind in Dean's Ford station wagon. So he had a station wagon and he had a Porsche, you know, somewhere in between. Uh, Dean was actually pulled over and ticketed near Bakersfield for going 65 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone. Uh, but that didn't uh, deter him from testing the spider's limits uh, a little bit later. Uh, Dean left Hickman and the station wagon in the dust and headed down Route uh, 466, now known as Route 46, for Peso Robles, where they planned to meet for dinner that evening. As Dean approached the junction of Route 46 and Route 41, a 23-year-old college student named Donald Turnup Speed, yes, I'm not okay, Turnup, Turnup Seed, Seed. Turnup not Speed, Seed, Seed. Okay. Turnup Seed. Seed. You yes. got it, you got it. Was turning into the intersection. He never saw the low-profile spider, and Dean was going way too fast to stop. Dean tried to swerve, but collided almost head-on with Turnup Seed's 1950 Ford Tudor. Uh, the impact sent Turnup Seed's heavy Ford sliding 39 feet down the highway, but the Spider, a much lighter car, was propelled into the air. A witness reported doing cartwheels and smashing into the ground several times. Jeez. Have you ever seen a picture of the car? Yeah. It's just, there's like mangled. no roof. Like, it's yeah, just like a convertible. Uh, when it finally stopped, Little B was a little more than a crumpled pile of aluminum and still. Wetherick was thrown from the wreck and survived, but Dean was not so fortunate. He was trapped in the car, his foot crushed between the clutch and the brake pedal, badly injured. His neck and arms were broken, jaw fractured, and uh, had massive internal and external injuries. Mm. Uh, passerby, uh, stop, uh, passerby stopped uh, to help any way they could. A woman with nursing experience checked Dean for a pulse, found it very weak. She said Dean's death appeared to have been instantaneous. Hickman reached the scene about 10 minutes after the collision and pried Dean from the wreck. So the guy that's following in a station wagon was 10 minutes behind. Yeah. That's how fast James Dean was going, you know, testing the limits of this. Um, in the death of James Dean, author Warren Beth wrote that Dean died in Hickman's arms. Um, Wertherick and Turnipseed uh, both survived the crash. How do you think, how would you feel if you were the one that was in the wreck and you survived and you basically, I don't want to yeah. say you killed James Dean, but you are Part of that. Part of that, yeah. How, of how do you, I mean, I wonder if you got any hate mail or, uh, uh, but even though it probably wasn't his fault, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, there was yeah. a diagram I saw online where it showed, you was know. The truck turning left? Yeah, well, okay. like the car, the, he was turning left this way and Dean was just Straight. speed, but it was so low to the ground, you know, it was speeding. That like, when he did this, he yeah. when Dean w- went to swerve and he went right head on into it, man. But uh, you can find that on online. Um. Dean was pronounced dead an hour when he finally arrived at the hospital, uh, within an hour uh, An hour later. His funeral was held in his hometown of Fairmont, Indiana. It was a closed casket to conceal his severe injuries, and he was buried in Park Cemetery um, there, too. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, sports car of James Dean, the Little B, uh, the wreckage, uh, because there is some curses uh, brought along with this, too. I don't know if you guys know this, so we'll get to that, too. The curses a lot of, of foreshadowing, too, even up to yes. Man. Yeah. Uh, even even uh, Ob- even, Obi-Wan. even the old Obi Wan Kenobi, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, the wreckage of the little bee was brought uh, was bought by Dr. William F. Eshridge, a racer who had competed against Dean several times that year. Eshridge stripped out the mechanical parts for use in his Lotus uh, Nine race car. He gave the mangled remains to George Barris, the Hollywood king of the customizers, who created the Mon- uh, Munster Coach and Dragula Cascade Dragster for the Munsters television series, oh. as well as the original 1966 Batmobile. I remember that car. Uh, Barris originally planned to rebuild the car, but he discovered the frame was too badly damaged. Instead, he welded some aluminum sheet metal over the damaged areas to stabilize the wreck and turn it into a traveling exhibit so you could go actually travel around and pay money to go see the, the wreck of Mingo, or James Dean's car. Kind of in 1956, <laughs> he loaned it to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Society Safety Council for a local car show where it was displayed as James Dean's last sports car. For the next several years, Barrett showcased the car at car shows and other events around the country. Then, in 1960, Little B disappeared. Bears claimed the spider was returning from a traffic sh- uh, safety show in Florida in a locked semi-trailer, but by the time it arrived in California and he opened the trailer doors, the car was gone. 
The story seemed a little too convenient. In his book, James Dean at Speed, author Lee Raskin wrote that he believes that as pop culture was becoming more interested in American-made big block muscle cars, interest in Dean's Porsche was fading. Barris probably wasn't making money anymore with the exhibit, and Raskin believed he invented the story of the car's disappearance so he could retire the wreck while still perpetuating the legend, especially on the anniversary of James Dean's death. Mm. And now, the curse. The curse. The curse of Little B. Uh, Little B may have vanished, but it seemed the car was still causing trouble. In his 1974 books, Cars of the Stars, Bears claimed that Little B's parts had yeah. cursed the cars they were used in, having been involved in numerous accidents, resulting in serious injuries and death to both drivers and spectators. Yeah. According to Barris, after Eishrix uh, uh, poached the parts for Little B, he was involved in an accident while racing his Lotus with Dean's Porsche engine. During that same race, Bears claimed another driver named Dr. McHenry, who uh, was also using parts for Little B, uh, lost control of the vehicle and struck a tree. Eishrick did not have a very minor accident. McHenry uh, really was using parts loaned from him from Eishrick when he wrapped his car around the tree and died. Beyond that, the only other evidence of possible curses are as follows. Um, that, As far as researchers can tell, that there was a strange fire on March 11, 1959. Uh, the spider being stored in a garage in Fresno in preparation for an upcoming safety exhibit when it mysteriously caught on fire. Uh, two of the car's tires burned and the paint was scorched, but there was no other damage to the car, nor the surrounding cars or the building. The cause was never determined. Um, that's not exactly uh, proof that James Dean's Porsche was infused with some dark force, but it does become a bit more unsettling when you find out James, uh, James Dean was warned about the car by a Jedi a week before his death. <laughs> Dean encountered British actor Sir Alec Guinness, best known for his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars trilogy, outside a restaurant in Hollywood on September 23rd, 1955, just a week before James Dean's death. Dean introduced himself and showed off his new car um, that he had just traded his Porsche Speedster for two days earlier. Guinness said the spider looked sinister. If you get in that car, Guinness told Dean, you will be found dead in it by this next week. Mm. Dean was dead seven days later. Where is a little bee now? Uh, the whereabouts of Little B is still a mystery, but uh, one man may have the answer. In 2005, on the 50th anniversary of James, uh, James Dean's death, the Volo Auto Museum in Illinois offered $1 million for the car. Ten years later, a few months after an episode of Brad Meltzer's uh, Decoded Air, which featured the disappearance, a man cont contacted the museum. He claimed that at the age of six, he had accompanied his father and another man as they hid the car behind a false wall in a building in Whatcom County, Washington. I remember this being on the news. Uh, the man remembers some key bits of overheard conversation that lent credits to his claim, and he passed a polygraph test. However, he declined to reveal the location of the building until an agreement was signed that he would receive a portion of the reward money. Wow. Uh, Volo made it clear that he, he, would, uh, he would only pay if the museum gains legal possession of the car, and since the ownership of the car and the building it may be hidden is, in, is an unclear, that couldn't come to an agreement. Uh, we may never know the final resting place of Little B, but the cursed parts are accounted for. The family of the late Dr. Oshry still has the engine, and a Porsche collector in Massachusetts currently owns the transaxle assembly. Mm. Neither have reported any further misfortune. Um, I found a little bit other of uh, the curses of the car. Uh, let's see here. Um, so there was two more deaths um, for, from it. Uh, there's also an incident where fans were injured when they attempted to steal souvenir parts for the car. And when the car was on display at a Sacramento high school, it fell off its stand, breaking a student's hip. When the car was oh, wow. sent by truck to Salinas, the driver lost control of the truck and crashed. He was thrown free only seconds later to have Little B fall off the truck on top of him and crushed him to death. Should have named it Christine. <laughs> the yeah. final mishap took place in 1916 when the car disappeared, as we talked about. Um, there is superstitious belief that it's not just places, but objects can become cursed with associated with violence and tragedy. Um, was Little B really cursed when Dean bought it brand new? Or uh, was they were coming into close contact with simply victims of bad luck? Or did it become cursed as a real result of James Dean's violent death? According to Psychometry, objects absorb the emotions of their owners and remain a permanent focus of these emotions. Although the mystery may never be solved, there may be a possibility that in the final seconds of Dean's life, he experienced such intense terror and fear that their negative energy was literally imprinted on the car. Okay. So, Eric, do you believe <laughs> the, the James Dean car was cursed? Uh, no, I don't think it was cursed. I don't believe in hexes. Or do you think cursed. it's still out there somewhere? I, I mean, you told me a whole lot about the car uh, that I did not know. I just know that it was purchased 
Um, oh yeah, I didn't find out. I didn't have the amount in there. Well, I just blood. know it was purchased while he was filming a giant, giant right? and George Stevens in that book that I referenced earlier. He talks about his son was actually like a year or two younger than uh, Dean, and they both used to zip around the the set in between, you know, filming. And I guess he used to just fly around. Mm-hmm. And the only the only other things that I know about it uh, historically wise is that. Oh, this is interesting. You might find this interesting. He decided at the last minute that he was going to drive up to Salinas. He originally was going to have the car shipped mm-hmm. by a truck, but he decided because it was such a brand new car, which he only he paid seven thousand dollars for, according to that book, that he was going to drive it so that he could, you know he could get used to it and you know he could get familiar with the car while he drove it up to the race course. But his uncle and his dad were supposed to meet him in Salinas to watch him race in that race or whatever. But his uncle had to go back to Indiana for some reason, so he had to leave early. So at the crash site, now, according to what I read, that there were two tickets to that race that were in his pocket that they found on his person at the crash that were for his father and his uncle mm. that, you know, he obviously didn't make it to. But I thought that was interesting. Right. And not only that, but... but you know, you read about how who was it the, the his racing buddy and the photographer were following him, right? And it's really crazy if you look up the photos online because you can see that photographer was right there, dude, and you can see that mangled wreck. You know uh, yeah, I mean? it was. I also was saw the, yeah. I also saw a picture of where they have the gurney, uh, mm-hmm. will out like right next to the car, dude, and it's it's just it's incredible to to look yeah. up some of those uh, yeah. things. What do you think, Kyle? Do you think it's cursed? Like more than, oh, yeah, I always say like every time you hear about curses, you never hear about like good curses. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, you know, like, it's all about the fear and the hate and all the anger that went into this yeah, object. Right. Now it's cursed. You never hear about it's like, like, Good people own things too. Yeah. <laughs> Die peaceful deaths. Is like I have this thing. Here's what. Here's your dad's watch. You feel good now. No one feels happy about getting. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is when yeah, you know you talk about uh, Alec Guinness and meeting Alec Guinness. Star Wars wasn't even out yet. Oh yeah, yeah. So, this, this is bridge uh, on the River Kwai uh, or Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, Alec Guinness. Yeah, uh, Alec Guinness. You know what I mean. So, um, I just think it's a it's it's something that needs to be uh, told. Um, I'm sure if if it was still out there. That Zach Baggins has probably tried to get a hold of it to put it in his museum. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. And also, I, I mean, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest. I'm gonna even kind of cast out that Alex Guinness said that. I remember like other actors do similar stuff before, like when like uh, Heath Ledger passed away, and then Robert De Niro was like, ah, oh, he played. No, no, it wasn't Robert De Niro. It was uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. I was like, oh, he played the Joker. I don't know. It's a rough place to go. And it's like, really, you had that thought after he died? <laughs> Right. Um, uh, it, it's one of those things where just like I feel like it's it sounds like Alec Guinness just asking for fame after James Dean died. Uh, How can I cast uh, on it? I don't. I don't and think like, so. I think I think Alec Guinness. Uh, he, I he talked was, to him once, and then he died. So he now was, I'm significant. <laughs> he but, made but it I, by himself. But I had also yeah. read that when uh, that he, they had stopped, he had stopped for a coke uh, at a gas station or mm-hmm. diner or whatever. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and he had just stopped for a coke, mm-hmm. a soda. Um, but I think you can tell that he really loved racing and, and he was just, I think that's one of the reasons yeah. he wanted to drive too, because yeah. they had just stopped him from doing all that on the set of giant, you know, right. speeding around and everything. So yeah. I think he was just, it was in his blood and he just wanted to go, you know, and oh, he yeah. wanted to test the limits. Oh. Yeah, but I'm not sure how the road is there. I don't know if there's a lot of turns and twists in California on that stretch yeah, of road that he was I don't on. Know. Um, well, specifically about his death too, and uh, unfortunately we did cover Eric. You covered this early. We talked about the the Methodist preacher who had mm-hmm. a, 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 a an appropriate relationship with him. Um, he said like he basically caught him the idea of uh, embracing the danger in life and like seeking mm-hmm. immortality in the moment of having those moments of near death experiences that you're coming in like an immortality of the spirit to some degree and having the moment where you feel more alive than ever, the adrenaline rushing through you. And all kind of hmm. stuff too. Um, the preacher specifically was kind of like the one who imparted that lesson onto him, and that could be seen as almost the dooming part of his life that he constantly kind of took on these dangerous things specifically to feel alive in those moments and not, you know, fear death. That was the idea. Like he, he took risks specifically to feel alive. Yeah, and um, you know, you see that he was pulled over for doing just ten miles over the speed limit. Um, you see people fly around all the time these days. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, yeah. I've read conflicting. Sorry. Conflicting reports too that that he wasn't speeding, and that uh, I don't know. I read something where like no, I'm just saying we know that he was pulled over and given a oh, ticket. Oh yeah, yeah, he before was. that, you know what yeah. I mean. Uh, th- he may not have but, even been speeding. It yeah, could have just been that's the way that they hit head on. You know the, what I mean? The, the time of day. I read one account where like the sun would have been the in the, sun kid, was the kids' him. eyes, and mm-hmm. with the car being set so low to the. I mean, the car probably weighed nothing. Oh, yeah. You know, because it if was you ever see it, it uh, built to, for speed. 
It kind of looks like Herbie the Love Bug without yeah. the top. Is yeah, what, yeah. the way I picture it. Or I would say really it looks low like. to the ground, like a race car is. And yeah, you could totally understand how yeah. a kid couldn't see a car, especially yeah. if the sun was at the right angle and in yeah. all of those things. But as far as the going back to your original question, the whole curse thing, you know, a lot of people try to drum up things to. But, but, I mean, just yeah. the foreshadowing to me is more interesting. Like he did movie Rebel Without a Cause about the kid that goes over the side of the mm-hmm. cliff and he survives, and you know that stuff is kind of really yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. And then I think you guys alluded to another foreshadowing in one of the other movies. I can't remember now, but it's just kind of like that kind of stuff is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but as far as like you know the whole Christine cursed car, yeah, the Christine car's alive yeah. and it has its own entity. Yeah, well, it's like we I have all these bad stories. Eric, stop! It's, like, it's it. like we have all these bad stories about the car, but no one has like I got his jacket. And then I have all these good stories. Yeah, you know? right, like that's yeah. not the thing that kind of happens. Or bad stories about his jacket. You know? I think when we when yeah. we do go up to Fairmount to visit his grave, we all need to wear white t shirts to slick our <laughs> hair red back. Jackets. And red jackets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and maybe I'll rent a, a, a spider. We'll drive up there in style. Yeah, that'll be Kyle's uh, segment. The yeah, legacy yeah, part. All right, Kyle. We'll get into that now. Let's go ahead and so, uh, tell us the legacy that James Dean left behind. Yeah, let's talk about the 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 awards he won or nominated for posthumously. I'm hopefully saying that word properly again this time. Excellent. Uh, yeah, posthumously. I'm saying it so right. Not I'm going to say it ten more times Because it's not laughing matter, Kyle. It's not laughing matter. No, no. Um, uh, James Dean is the first and likely only actor to ever receive these awards. But um, uh, this, um, in 1956, he was the first actor to ever be posthumously nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role, um, specifically in the uh, film uh, Rebel Without a Cause. And then um, the very next year afterwards, he was nominated again for his role in, I believe it was uh, in Giant. No, it was East of Eden was the first movie. Then it was Giant in the second movie the year after. So he's the first actor to be nominated posthumously at all and likely going to be the only actor to be nominated um, twice posthumously ever. Uh, did, uh, hmm. Was Heath Ledger, was Heath Ledger uh, did he win posthumously? Don't believe so. I have, uh, or was he nominated later? I, I don't remember, remember if he was nominated at all, um, specifically because like, awards don't go to superhero movies. It's just kind of a rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have uh, he was also uh, possibly an av- uh, nominated for the best foreign actor for um, um, best foreign actor, um, and uh, both in 1956 and 57 also for East of Eden and Giant, and then um, in 1957 for the Brave Auto Germany he won best actor possibly. Um, and then, and that would have been for Giant as well. And then for the Golden Globes, he was winner for world favorite film, um, male, rewarded posthumously in 1957. That would have been the Giant. And then also he won the Special Achievements Award in 1956 for um, East of Eden. And then we have the Juzzy Awards in 1956, where he won Best Foreign Actor for East of Eden. And then for the online film and television, he was added to the Hall of Fame in 2014. And then in the Petrigo Awards, he won the Best um, best Actor, possibly, for East of Eden. And then in 1960, he was um, given a star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. Um, so that's the awards he won, all of them posthumously, uh, obviously. And then also going moving further into the legacy of his life, um, you know, he is the quintessential rebel now for 1950s iconography he's the reason like yeah. so many other movies said in 1950s are focused on having like fast cars and drag races and knife fights between high school students and yeah. other crazy stuff like that um, he's the reason Philip J. Fi and Futurama has a red jacket and why like so many, <laughs> other, like, like so many things actually he's the quintessential rebel you know in that kind of sense he set that framework up and um, he is the um, poster boy for like the disenfranchised youth of the 1950s in a post World War II America, having to deal in a world where like you know your father may not have come back from World War II, or mm-hmm. your father came back and is now not um, the man you were hoping for. And those kind of things too, being a disenfranchised a young adult um, for the time and being like I don't have anyone that I feel like I can rely upon. Mm-hmm. Um, having that feeling, especially in more of a rural neighborhoods or in a suburban neighborhoods, not like like New York City or California where you feel like you know the world's your oyster the opportunities everywhere um, feeling like trapped in your own town he became like the quintessential man that represented all those kind of anxieties that so many Americans felt in that Pacific era and uh, he did that's why I think he was so beloved um, that after that film released and why so many people were um, uh, were um, saddened uh, yeah so they were deeply. weeping in the movie theaters yeah we watching watching the movie well, theater, so, well yeah. we talked about I believe it was in the giant episode that people 
um, went to the uh, premiere or whatever, and they didn't think it was real that he had died. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they were they were wanting him to come out, and when they found out that he wasn't, they were just all shocked and mad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's the thing, like, it, it was so shocking that he passed away that people like truths of the night make a conspiracy theory. Like he was actually like, no, no, this is just the drum roll for the you know, this is just the drum up the giant movie specifically. This is just mm-hmm. fake news, those kind of stuff like that too, which it happens in all kinds of. You know, real world disasters, and that's how it, the death of James Dean was treated by those people in the 1950s. Um, so that's like how important he was to that generation, and, and paved the way for guys like Elvis and yeah, too. And, and sort of to, who moved along. There is a distinction between James Dean. He really gained most of his popularity, if you will, or his iconic status posthumously after he died, where Elvis. In, in the reverse order, sort of got to enjoy a lot of that fame, and the fame is what killed him eventually. Yeah, so. if he's dead. Yeah, if he's dead right? <laughs> yeah, and I will say, you know, Elvis. I think he he took on the the hopeful part of a lot of the dreams of the youth of that era. Right, he took a of, like the dreams and like fulfilling those kind of things. Whereas Dame, uh, I'm sorry, Dean took on more of the sadness and the anxiety mm-hmm. of that thing. Yeah, like Dean's sure. was like they were like two ends of the spectrum, spectrum. of how people how felt in America. And, in the yeah, 1950s. and how they lived. And Elvis how they died. is that that happiness, joy, that party lifestyle, like having everything, all the all the best things done bad sides and then Dean's all the anxieties and like how fruitless life feels um, going forward. Right, but I believe Elvis was already a big uh, music star uh, true, before true. he we're, went into we're being movies, very so. broad with the time right. here. You're right. You're right. Well, I mean, so. in the mid '50s is when Elvis sort of entered the America's consciousness. Like, so it was been. Well, what year was he on the Ed Sullivan Show? Uh, good question. Uh, 55, 56, maybe uh, around, right around that general time. Use those that. Kyle thumbs and I, 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 yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> But I, I just say that to make, Do you think to El- make that distinction between, the, the like Kyle said, the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. So let me ask you a question. What kind of legacy do you think James E. would have left on the movie industry if he had not died so early? See, that and, brings us back to our original question. And if he would have survived and he would have still been alive, what movies that were made now, looking back on, you could have seen him in that role? That's a broad question. It is. You know, like what, what what films would he be appropriate for, like the adult role and not just the young kid role right. played in those early films? How how would he have how transitioned would he have to that? as he went to an older an older actor, or question. was he just going to be typecast like uh, uh, Anthony Perkins in Psycho, where he always played the senile, dark individual? Was he was he always going to be cast as the rebel, as the young kid, the troubled youth? Right? Yeah, uh, he could have been he could have been forced to like uh, a type role, of maybe that West Side Story. Yeah, maybe he could have been in there. Yeah. So like one of the things I say, like we, we talked about early on in his career, like he was uh, kind of one of the really first actors, not necessarily first actors, but one of the early actors to specifically get into the idea of method acting and getting inside the roles, headspace, and like getting dealing with those head things. So like he would have no doubt continued that in his career, and indeed he probably would have continued to um, perpetuate the popularity of that idea. Like um, Robert De Niro and like um, Nicholas Cage are, like cite him as like a big inspiration for their acting styles and how they try to be a method actor and how that kind of reflects culture today. Like I know Jared Leto. Fames himself as a big method actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, and other actors as well. Like they try and good actors like Leonardo DiCaprio, not Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Could you could you, could you see him in Scarface? Yeah, oh, uh, that would have been very interesting to see, and he would have been um, close to the right time. Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like um, he could. So you had more time to think about that. How, no, 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 I just, no, I, just, I mean, those I just thought of that right here okay, while I'm sitting here because that's, how Italian is James Dean? Could it be an Italian? Could it be an Italian Godfather? I don't know. Um, I, that I, that, those are great questions, and it, it brings you back to the original question. I kind of changed. I kind of shifted. I might be jumping ahead here. I kind of shifted my thinking. I thought. I thought when that question first was brought to bear, when we were texting back and forth, whatever. I thought, oh, he's overrated because you had only watched because, Rebel Without a Cause. Right. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. only. That's fair. I'd only seen Rebel Without a Cause. I hadn't seen the full body of work. I thought it was just overrated. I thought people just, you know how. You know, you look back in time and everything is rosy, you know, uh, in the past and everything is, you know, yeah, you know, biscuits and gravy or whatever. And, and hey, that's, <laughs> that's not the right expression. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Everything's peaches wonderful. And cream. Peaches and cream. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's lovely. But, you know, I just thought he was overrated as an actor. But once I actually started to unpack it a little bit, no, I think he was... I would equate him to, like, Haley's Comet or something. He was here for a, a brief <laughs> moment. Once every 84 years. He was every 84 and years. It was, well, he's, he's a, yeah, he's yeah. once of a generation, once in a lifetime kind of actor yeah. who is really intense for a short amount of time. 
time and it burned you know he burned up it's it's his life is over and the quote natalie natalie wood is co-star in rebel without a cause said this all of us were touched by jimmy and he was touched by greatness and i think that he was great for his time for the short amount of time that he yeah he, and I, my mindset sort of changed because I would have said before that he, when I first addressed the question, I would have said, no, he's way overrated. I think people just, the, he gets this aggrandizement. He's just overblown and overinflated. Yeah. But uh, I, the my mind kind of changed. It, it makes more yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 And also, I would say the point, like, we're speculating, like, what his long career would have been. I would say also the point, like, there's no reality where James Dean lives a long life. <laughs> he did burn brightly in every single aspect of the world. If he didn't die at 24, he would have just likely died at 25 or 26. <laughs> early on in his life. Like there was no way that he was going to have an easy life if he didn't die at 24. But I don't know. I think I think if a studio would have signed him or for a, a thing, he would have had more uh, rules put on him where he wouldn't be able to enjoy the things in life. Yeah. Or like, hey, instead of like rules, you can't drive your car really fast. Maybe like, you need to go see a therapist, like badly, really need to see a therapist. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the the conflict within himself, I I, I agree with Kyle, it it would have got the better of him at some point if he wouldn't have gotten help because I think there's just too much in just the brief research that I've done on his young life that there's just too much in his young life that was troubling that would have. Yeah, showed itself in later in life. He would eventually have turned to some different vices if it was in the drugs, alcoholism alcohol. or drugs or like anything else like that. Like yeah. something would kind of have to tear him down if he didn't um, go back and like yeah. peel back those layers and help himself. And that's what I think kind of like is evident in his life that he was so disenfranchised he did lose himself. And that's why he died so tragically and early. Which you know. oddly enough cements his legacy even more. As exactly. That yeah, yeah. As that icon. Yeah. Do you think him and Elvis would have ever teamed up to do a duo in a movie? They may still, you know, Hawaii too. Finding Jack. No, no, I'm just saying, you know, uh, Elvis always had those sidekicks in his movies, or most of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the same token, I don't know if I'd ever see James Dean in a musical either. So okay, so (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that'd be funny. I just think. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to dive deeper in, just like, it was like the one final point I wanted to do with the legacy is that, like, I think, like, the Finding Jack movie where he's going to be, um, if that movie ever actually comes to see the light of day, because I honestly I don't, know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that movie's going to get released at this point, at this point, because I can't find any new stories about it at all. If I do, I'll post on the Facebook group, don't worry. But, like, they're going to use a CG animated James Dean to play a role in a Vietnam War film. And uh, it's caused a lot of controversy when they initially announced that back in 2019, because they're talking about, like, using the, the right of uh, you know of deceased actors instead of actually casting new actors and bringing up new opportunities for new roles to be played and um, originally uh, before they got James Dean to do that they were considering Elvis Presley but the Elvis Presley estate said no so they went with James Dean instead so Priscilla part said of no yeah so Elvis uh, so James Dean's uh, legacy is now going to be about um, actors rights to the degree and the rights to their likeness and also um, the legacy of their likeness and how that should be treated by um, companies Companies and movies and art in general in the near future. Assuming you know, Finding Jack releases and becomes that focal point for that discussion. It looks like it may be. I don't know if this one will actually see the light of day anymore because, like I said, news stories kind of like dropped off in 2020 and haven't picked up since. And I can't find anything about it. If if they you know? do release that, are they going to have somebody dub his voice? Or are they going to go back and do all the interviews? And, so um, you know what similar I mean, in the um, similar in like Star Wars um, Rogue One, uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Like if they had um, yeah Leia. No, not well. No, the um, the general, the evil general, oh, his name Tarkin. Tarkin, yeah. yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin, the original actor for that. They used a different actor stand-in to do the voice role and do the acting, um, and then they just mocap. The they kind of dubbed his. They in some cases they dubbed or modernized his voice, mm. but also they did use the original voice actors, um, the, the original actor's voice as well in the role to kind of mask it and kind of blend it in a little bit. Um, so and they're looking at doing that similar stuff uh, more commonly. And if they do it more commonly, then that means like regular actors are going to lose their roles to CG artists. Mm. And they and CG artists, of course, don't have unions. They don't have the same rights. That's a problem. You can just pump it out to an army of CG artists in a random place, pay them poorly, and then force them to do this work to make these big budget movies uh, in the future instead of paying like Robert De Niro half a billion dollars. There, there is yeah. a movie. I don't know if either of you have saw it. I think it's called Simone, mm-hmm. and it is about um, Al Pacino, I do believe, creates this woman that's only on the internet. Like she's an actress and everything on the internet. Nobody's ever seen her. You know what I mean? It's a very interesting movie. You need to watch it. Yeah. Basically, he's in this warehouse. He's got all these computers set up, and he's actually just makes sure he can make her voice move and her eyes and all that. So I, yeah. I, that's something probably what they're going along the yeah, lines that, of. Yeah, that's but. really going along. But I see, like, with Finding Jack, specifically the news around the casting and Finding Jack, that's where that controversy seems to, like, angered other actors. And I feel like this is, like, part of, you know, like I said, 
if this continues to go forward, that James Dean will become the focal point for that controversy and how mm. the, the legacy of likeness of these characters will be going forward. So that's part of James Dean's legacy now of like, who knows? Maybe we'll get a film where Elvis Presley and James Dean are in a movie together <laughs> as CG characters. That new that Elvis like Presley life, movie looks good. Yeah, I want to go I'm see I'm excited for that summer. too. Tom Hanks with Colonel <laughs> yeah. yeah. Parker. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, there you have it. Uh, touching on the life, death, and legacy of James Dean. Let us know what you think about James Dean's life. Um, send me an email at thetragedycinema at gmail.com. Um, for me, I think he's... Um, he. If you're just basing on Rebel Without a Cause, you've probably really never even touched the legacy of James Dean. It's easy to dismiss him if you've only seen Rebel If you've only Cause. seen that, then, yeah. and then that's all I knew him for. Yeah. Because yeah. East of Eden, I thought, man, this sounds like a stupid film, yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. And then Giant, you're like, I'm not a big Western guy, so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that, but that was a great movie too. But East of Eden... It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, stick with it. I'm telling you, those first 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you're going to want to give up. <laughs> I, yeah. I told Eric, I said, don't give up on it. you, you got to go through it. I was like, it's weird at the beginning. You're going to be like, this yeah. is a weird movie. You can only taste the sweetness of his story when you have the whole meal. <laughs> like, that's yeah. kind of the thing. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, you, once it all comes together, then you enjoy it. So, but, I mean, know, I wish he would have stuck around longer just to see what else he would have produced and if what he did produce would be as great as these movies um, because I wouldn't have wanted him to just start accepting roles just to, for the sake of accepting roles. Because I think that's when some actors, um, let's say Nick Cage. I like Nick Cage movies, but when he starts just accepting every offer because he's in debt and he has to pay for that, <laughs> some of those IRS. movies, <laughs> some of those movies are terrible. Yeah, it, um, it's a tarnish on their whole career. Right. Legacy. You're right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't want to see him tarnish his legacy over something stupid, or I wouldn't have wanted to see him get in trouble. Uh, later with the law or yeah, whatever for doing some stupid stuff have, or you know, you know uh, accidentally killing yeah. somebody from being uh, drugged up alcohol whatever mm-hmm. uh, even you know racing yeah. um, he may have came on to become a great race car driver yeah. he never really came, if, could have came to the yeah. Indy 500 yeah. and raced or also, you like, never know his relationships could have come to light in the 60s and had a huge controversy about that you don't know right. like those kind of things like you know his life could have gone so many different ways and none of them really sounded like it would have gone that well for him. Well, I mean, you, we, we've talked about how he was on the set of some of his movies anyway, and he was kind of a bear to deal with on the George, set of his movies. Yeah, so. George Stevens, I guess, they did not get along no, at who? all no. on the set of Giant. No. No, no. They despised one another. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and uh, a constant struggle. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I don't know what kind of uh, training he had as an actor, uh, but I think it was Rebel Without a Cause, maybe East Eden, when he would be laying in the fetal position, and they'd say, they would say, they would say, you know, act, you know, he'd stand up and start doing his lines. And I was like, this is kind of weird, but whatever works. So, yeah, I mean, honestly. Where do you I, land uh, with it? Do you think he's overrated or do you think he's due, <sighs> duly worthy of all of the accolades? Okay, this is this is the way I see it. Okay, you can agree with me. You don't go have ahead, to agree with me. No. I think his movies were good. Uh, East of Eden was fantastic. Do I believe that he should be put in the same category as Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley? No. I think he's a different, a different tier, if you will. Um, I understand why they put him there because of the time, uh, the fifties. Yeah, I guess that's the reason he's there. But I don't think he deserves the same accolades as those two from what they accomplished in their life. Even though what he accomplished in a short time in his life was just as good, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, uh, because he, he has he a, is in the top. Well, according to their score, he is in the top fifty of all time. Uh, I don't know well, what, what number he was. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean those are all. But the, but, the, but I mean, you look at his three movies; they are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. two I mean, and a half. I guess you wouldn't even have to count this giant as uh, one of his movies, even though he had a cameo. Ro- I, I call it a cameo yeah. role. Yeah, almost. I understand what you mean. So, but uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, I, I'm going with East of Eden as his, as his great movie. Eric, do you think he's overrated? No, like I said, my, my opinion changed the more I dug into the the, the context of uh, research and so forth, and then I actually saw all three movies. Yeah, it changed. I I, think, I don't want to say overrated because I think that's too powerful I, of a word. Yeah. Overrated implies some like generality of like positivity about him. Like he had like he accomplished so much. Like no, he didn't accomplish so much, but he is like a focal point of like looking at this and now you understand so much more about the world because yeah. he right. he was the icon for like all of those all feelings. of the fifties. He did that perfectly. The fifties. That doesn't mean that he himself was like some amazing person. Yeah. He just happened to have all these aspects together in one person at the same time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I. I, I again use the analogy of Haley's comment. He was really intense and great in all of the things that Kyle yeah. just described for a short period of time. And yeah, I put him in iconic status. I, I don't think he's overrated. That might have been a bad choice of words. Right. Um, 
Yeah. No, I, 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 I would put him in the top 100. I don't know about the top 50. Right. But, yeah, I mean, you have to give the guy his credit and his due for what he did in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, I think I think I think he's 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 a critical piece to understanding the the culture of the fifties, but I, I would definitely say like like I, I I can't say like I personally find him I'm sure there's people that consider that overrate him entirely and do think of that highly of him, but I don't think he's overrated generally like even like even right now generally he's not rated at all because no one remembers him no that way yeah, like, yeah. No. yeah we had to go and do an in depth study about this and even you ask him about slowly. James Dean they think you're talking about Jimmy Dean the sausage. Jimmy <laughs> Dean the sausage. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Kyle said, "Why are we talking yeah. about a sausage?" He would have done a promo. He would have done a promo in like thirty years, something like that. Like Citizen Kane director, just doing, doing promos for cereal. James Dean, five hundred pounds. Yes, I, I like cereal. <laughs> Man, what's that? Well, now that Kyle has derailed the life and legacy of James Dean, I think we're uh, getting ready to come up. Um, uh, to an end of this episode, um, Eric has agreed to come back for some more real talks here in the near future. Um, we'll put it out in a future episode of what we're going to cover. I think it's. I think. I think I like the idea of having a topic for the real talk instead mm-hmm. of just coming in and just just riffing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because you can go a lot of different directions. And this actually, even though it's a lot of information, Somewhat it actually cohesive. it actually draws us back to a main focal point. And I think I really enjoyed that. So, um, I think one of the next ones we'll probably do is uh, your personal top ten actresses and why. Uh, maybe something like that. Um, I also think we. I want to cover um, maybe like cursed uh, and tragedies on the film sets. Um, there's a lot with the Twilight Zone movie. There's a lot with The Crow. Um, there's a lot with The Exorcist. There's just a lot of different movies that we could talk about there and the mishaps that happened on the set and the curses, as Eric likes to say, uh, that happened with the film and thereafter. So. With that being said, I think this Real Talk number five is coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.